Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, your Griffith College alumni podcast. Uh, we're delighted to welcome Neil Curran, an alumni of Griffith College, onto the inaugural recording uh, of today's podcast. So what we'll do is we'll sh- uh, shine a spotlight on Neil's career and his achievements since he's graduated from Griffith College. Uh, the first thing that most people want to know are your job titles. So I've got down a professional improviser, corporate trainer, executive coach and event speaker. So that's quite an array of uh, titles there do you want to maybe yeah it's because if i put in any more you won't see it on linkedin so i try to what are the four main ones and there isn't an all-encompassing title uh but yeah that kind of a, is that the, the primary i guess roles um or titles that i would associate with myself uh if that makes sense yes fabulous so um what is a professional improviser if we, if we kick off there? Well, an improviser is mostly associated with improv comedy or improvised theatre, and that's uh, performing artists or entertainers who are out on stage and make it up basically for the entertainment of their, of their audiences. Uh, so I've been doing that for a great many number of years, both as a performer and as a teacher of improv, not just uh, to people who want to perform on stage, because most people don't want to perform on stage well they just don't know that they do but they don't want to but more so about developing the skills the skills behind it and using that in more professional and practical settings um, professional is just a fancy word that when you ask people can you define what the word professional means they know what it means but they can't actually define it mm. so I'll just leave that out there I could have put better in but that sounds a bit that sounds a bit poncy <laughs> uh, so a professional improviser uh, uh, is I'll sit with that but that's basically what it is I travel performing on stage but I also teach the skills behind it as well very interesting so um, from from what I've seen on LinkedIn and, and from your website as well um, you've, you've been all over the world uh, with your improv side of things uh, is there any kind of highlights that you've had out there there's been a lot uh, and you know certainly from a performing perspective I've been very fortunate that I have had opportunities to perform uh, you know in a in great countries and cities and stages around the world and um, certainly you know I've, I've gone to perform in China and it's per- certainly one place where well one of the only places in the world I performed where I had to be briefed beforehand on what I could and couldn't do and mm. um, which was interesting and um, but I, I think the first time I performed in the US was in San Francisco and had a very profound uh, show at that but I think just the opportunity to perform somewhere outside of your hometown is kind of nice because there's a bit of a buzz about it you know be it a festival or be it a dedicated show there's a bit of buzz of you know for the local community seeing somebody outside coming in and also you know in a small way you're representing your nation of of, of, of performing artists so there's that burden of responsibility on your shoulders as well and uh, but it is nice to do it Am, am I right in believing that you've, you've set up your own improv festival before? Yeah, the Improv Fest Ireland has been running since 2013. I hope that's right. Um, yeah, do you know, it's funny because improv festivals are a bit like the spar of, 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 the, of improv communities. Every city has one. And when I was in Shanghai, somebody asked me if I was going to an improv festival in Manila later that year. And much to my the shame of my geography teacher in school, I had to look up where Manila was. <laughs> I was like, gosh, if they can have an improv festival in the Philippines, surely we can have one in Dublin. And uh, it just went from there. It kind of grew into this big international festival of, of improvisation. When we get acts and teachers from all over the world coming to be part of it, which is great. That's fab. So um, when when do you normally hold your, your improv? Um, it, I, it's supposed to be every November, but the last few years has been with December, which uh, to anyone thinking of organising festivals out there, unless it's a Christmas festival, don't organise a festival in December because you're going to be so busy with other live stuff. Uh, but this year it's in November. 
Fabulous. And have you got a location for it? Yeah, we're, it's always in the heart of Dublin. We've used the th- Teachers Club Theatre on Parnell Square uh, every year because it's a fabulous venue. They've got uh, a large theatre space and a small theatre space and, of course, the bar because this is Ireland and the social side of a festival is very, very important. So it's all in the one building. That's fabulous. Uh, so if we, if we maybe go on to the, the corporate training side of things, obviously your, your improv skill has been honed there into the corporate world. Uh, could you maybe give us a little insight on some people, some organisations that you've worked with and, and that kind of structure that you go through in corporate training? Sure. It, well, it's interesting, actually, because when I when I didn't just wake up one day and, you know, the, this, this career path was mapped out in front of me. It was just something I stumbled across because before, years ago, when I, when I first moved into management, you know, like most people who move into a management role, you're good at your job, you get promoted, but you don't necessarily get the training and had to be a manager. And so I studied management at night on a part-time course but I realized over time that the skills I was learning and using on stage um, with improv which would have been just a hobby then was having a, an effect on me as a as a contributor in the workplace as a manager in the workplace my people skills relationship building confidence all of that all of those soft skills as people say I prefer, prefer to call them essential skills but they were being refined and enhanced and developed and when I had that moment where I realized hang on I didn't get this from college this wasn't Griffith College, by the way, where I learned this, so it's okay to knock it. Uh, I'm not knocking it. Uh, but it, I, I realized, well, actually, these are skills I'm getting from the stage. And what's the difference? Well, they're practical in nature. I'm learning by doing in the improv training room, whereas in college I'm learning from the books. So that was one aspect, was the practical application of it. So I had a feeling there was something in this, and then I realized that one of the, my first improv teachers, who had a profound effect on me from a teaching perspective, from an improv perspective, he was doing this for a living. So I chatted to him about it, and then I realized that this is not a new concept. And certainly in the U.S., they've been doing this for near 100 years. Mm. Um, and it's just an unheard of thing. Um, but in terms of then, you know, my clients in Ireland, it was the tech sector that prim- primarily were, were excited by it and wanted to do it, and who, who knew about it. Mm. Um, because, you know, for obvious reasons, a lot of them are headquartered in California. But then over the years, and as I kind of got myself out there a bit more and more, I started to see more even local companies Irish companies that are interested in trying it. And again, what it kind of boils down to to me is the fact that an improv session, workshop course, whatever you want to call it, is very much an active learning environment where you're learning by doing. And you're not preparing or prepping for what you're going to learn. You just jump in there and have to give it socks. That's the professional term for effort. <laughs> um, and that seems to have a very profound effect in, in the training environment. And of course, for companies nowadays, time is, is a commodity, but like mm-hmm. everything in life. So if you ask employees, and this is, a, this, is an anecdotal, this is anecdotal research I'm going to share, if you ask employees you know, how to best maximize training time, people will say, we just want the practical tools. So it's less about this PowerPoint, less about the slides, and more about just getting up and doing it, and having employees or you know, participants walking away feeling like, not that they've learned something that they've written down that they think they can use, but they've experienced something that they can take away and use. And I guess there's that muscle memory. Well, I do it in the training room. Let's see what happens when I do it in the professional setting. So more and more companies are becoming aware of that, even if they don't necessarily understand what improv is. And I must emphasize, improv is not the goal. It's the it's the it's the journey you take. Uh, think that like you know driving from Dublin to Galway. There's a number of different modes of transport that will get you to Galway. You'll get to Galway in the end, but your experience might be nicer in a BMW than it might be in a 1980s Lada. And mm. um, so. <laughs> It's really more about the tool that we use, um, uh, you know, to, to meet our training goals. That's very interesting. So, in terms of that corporate training environment, then, um, and, and the way that 
that people can maybe use that improv when they go back to their day day jobs or, or their desk jobs. Um, can you give me an example of maybe how how that translates? Yeah, well, I mean, if you take a topic like uh, presentation skills, now I don't. I think presentation skills is kind of a term that's been bandied around for a long time. So I don't even call it presentation. I call it authentic presenting, mm. because when you stand in front of the room, people want to be engaged, entertained, and really feel something from a speaker. Even if you're presenting the quarterly financial results, <laughs> you know, an audience wants to be engaged. You know, and um, so with that, you know, a lot of people are fearful of. Pre- presenting or they dislike it and Jerry Seinfeld had that joke of you know the top two fears people have in life number two is dying number one is public speaking so mm. if you're at a funeral giving the eulogy you'd rather be in the coffin than doing it <laughs> um, and that's very true but w- if you get somebody into a room where you're using improv as a tool to deliver presentation skills or authentic presenting you have them on their feet doing it in front of the rest of the group and while that might sound daunting the approach that's taken is a little bit like baby steps in a way we start doing things at a level but the focus is less about stand like this you know, move your body like this, have your slides aligned like that, because that doesn't make you feel like you're you're getting better at it. Instead, the focus is on developing the confidence from the inside out. And I think that's what's kind of unique about improv is no matter how we're using it or applying it, you're feeling that and your confidence is growing. Your comfort zone is constantly growing. And what I say to people who take longer programs and courses with me is, you know, I have a course at the moment and they've just finished their fifth or sixth uh, workshops. Um, as I said to them last night, I said, if you think back to your very first workshop and how nervous you were, if you were thinking about having to do that again, you probably wouldn't be phased by it. So our comfort zone grows even when we're in an environment where we're pushed to the edge of that comfort zone. So our safety bubble grows. So with that in, in, in taking authentic presenting, you're getting people in baby steps or large strides, depending on the comfort level, to just get up and do it. But at a level that feels more meaningful, that they're walking away feeling like, you know what, yes, I was nervous, or yes, this is challenging, but I really felt like something something worked. Or the, the cliche of, do you know what, that wasn't as tough as I thought it would be. <laughs> and that's something people often say. Mm. So if you're walking away from a training session feeling like, you know, I think I did well there, or I feel that, you know, that wasn't as daunting as I thought, that's so much more rewarding or so much more value to someone than kind of going, okay, I have my notes here. Um, you know, you can't learn to do brain surgery from a book I imagine I'm equating corporate training to brain surgery here. <laughs> uh, but yeah I think you get the gist of what I'm saying no, I, th- I think it's very interesting that you know we've all sat through our, our fair share of dry corporate training sessions and it's a fresh flavour on, on that so mm-hmm. no I think that, that's very interesting so how does that then move its way into executive coaching is that a longer exposure period with yourself And it's, a, it's an interesting one because executive coaching is what you know, it's it's talking with people one to one or in a group setting, and there are definitely parallels. Uh, you know, very much relevance between what we do in improv and, and coaching because what is coaching? It's an unscripted conversation between people, and um, so you think of basic communication skills like listening, communicating clearly, concisely, or conscious communication, as I as I call it. You know, that's very relevant because in the improv world, when a performer is on stage you know you don't have a script so your co-performers can't make assumptions or guess what your character is thinking or what they mean so you have to be very direct and clear and concise no different than a coaching conversation where you have to focus on listening to your client and actually what i I often talk to other coaches about is the more experienced you are at coaching there is a risk that you kind of start to categorize people who come to you with you know if you're coaching your 200 coachee on career coaching or you know whatever it may be 
there's a danger that we can put them in categories or put them in boxes. I've seen this before. I think I know what they need before without actually fully committing to listening. Mm. That's just a basic simplistic example. But improv teaches that we can't make assumptions or presumptions. You know, what has happened in the past doesn't necessarily reflect that it's going to exactly go like this time around. So there are some interesting parallels from a coaching conversation to what we use as in improv. Very interesting. Uh, and then the last, the last prompt I really have is, is event speaking, because that's something that obviously would naturally fit with this uh, kind of suite of skills that you have. So uh, how do you then kind of translate all of your skills into that event speaking? And, and is it general event speaking, or do you do you have very specific events that you go to? No, it's, it's general event speaking. Like it could be emceeing events or, you know, speaking on different topics. Um, I kind of like to think of myself as an introvert with extrovert tendencies. So while we could all go to a big, large gathering in the canteen here in Griffith with a bunch of strangers, and I'll be awkwardly looking at my phone as if I've just received a text message when really I'm just trying to distract myself from having to socialize, <laughs> while that might be certainly something that pushes me out of my comfort zone, put me on stage with an audience and take away the script, and that's my comfort zone. Um, so, you know, I, I originally, before I started working for myself, worked in finance, and having sat through so many finance presentations, I said to myself, you know, they're speakers in finance who can make finance presentations I'm not using that as an example I'm not knocking finance presentations but if you can have a finance so we present a finance figures and make that exciting and engaging you know what does that tell us um, so like similarly when I go out on stage at speaking events you know I'm there to engage and entertain the audience um, you know through a variety of techniques and I get a bit of a buzz out of, that, out of that let's be honest but if I'm having fun on stage it's like a TED talk you know if you're having fun on stage if you're believing and connected to what you're talking about if you're passionate the audience gets behind that an audience never turns up to an event going, gosh, Neil is speaking this, I hope I'm really bored for the next hour. No one does that, unless you're a politician or you know, you're delivering bad news like you're laying people off. No audience is there hoping they'll be bored or hoping that you suck. They want to be engaged, they want to be entertained, they want you to be successful. And it's just kind of you know, riffing off that really. But yeah, I do get a, quite a kick out of speaking events. That's fabulous. So just on this topic, uh, I think it's a really interesting topic. Um, and maybe... Do you have a piece of advice to someone who has to go and give a big presentation? Um, you know, if they're listening to this, uh, and, and what's the what's the one piece of advice that you'd give them? Well, presenting is not as daunting as we think, um, and preparation. We have this obsession with being prepared because of how we're educated. He says, "Well, on the Griffin College podcast, because we're, we're, we learn through education that the only way you'll succeed in life is being prepared." Um, you know, we study, we, we cram the night before an exam. And that's fair enough and that's well and good, but that doesn't mean every time in life we can only be successful if we do that. So when it comes to preparing for presentation and clients that I work with, when I look at how a lot of people prepare for presentations, they all put their focus in the wrong areas. So the first thing I say to someone is, well, you're already the expert of your domain. If we take away the script, take away the slides, you still should be able to talk about your chosen topic or whatever it is that you're going to discuss because that's the reason you're there. You don't hire an electrician to do a plumbing job. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is find what it is in your talk that you really engage in, you're passionate with, um, and speak to that. And use storytelling. Storytelling scientifically has been proven to be one of the most effective ways to engage an audience. Um, you know, We only remember a certain percentage of facts that are presented to us regardless of how interesting they are, but we always remember stories. And stories are a great way to connect with an audience, to engage an audience, to make an audience feel something um, and make it relatable. Um, so, you know, practice storytelling. And we're all natural storytellers. And people often say, you know, in Ireland, we're the greatest storytellers on the planet. Every nation, every nationality, every culture, we're all natural-born storytellers. So using a bit of storytelling. And to enjoy it. You know, if you, th if, you view, if you go into a talk, if you go into anything in life with the view of, oh, God, already you're giving yourself that negative mindset. 
So find what it is in your in your talk or in your event that you want, you know, you're excited about. And you might not, you might say, I'm not excited about anything. But that's not necessarily true because you're talking about a topic that you enjoy. Well, then that's the thing. Focus on that um, and try and enjoy it. Because if you're enjoying it, your audience will enjoy it. No one's ever gone to a talk where like somebody's really bored presenting uh, saying, oh, God, I really enjoy it. So boring that person was or how bored they looked. So, yeah, find the thing in it that, that you enjoy. Fab, I think I'll, uh, I'll remember that next time I've got to give a, a presentation myself. Uh, so you have your own podcast, uh, Neil Plus One, if I'm correct. So is there anything uh, around that that sort of topic or area? What what made you want to go into to doing your own podcast? Um, it was a podcast that kind of came too late to the to the friend because I travel so much. I realized that I, I just woke up one day and realized, well, I didn't really wake up one day. That's just a thing we say, don't we? <laughs> uh, but I realized that actually I'm traveling and I should really be, you know, because I got to meet a lot of fabulous and inspiring improvisers. Uh, and the podcast is pretty much, you know, one-to-one interviews with uh, improvisers. And I realized I should be interviewing people because there's not very many improvisers who have that opportunity to meet people. And, and so it just went from there. So it was kind of late in the day when I started it. But I record episodes with improvisers that have all skills and experience and just kind of get them to share their insight you know what it is about their their journey and uh, and it's a bit self-indulgent because I get to talk to people that inspire me and <laughs> um, so that's been kind of the focus of it and it was my first podcast um, entering to the podcast for Ray as well so somewhat experimental too um, but yeah an enjoyable enjoyable little romp and if people want to maybe go off and, and find that podcast themselves, is there anywhere we can direct them to? Um, yeah, just on my own website, loweredetone.com, there's a link up there somewhere. It is very much improv-focused rather than, you know, corporate training or professional application of it. And it is, you know, so it is kind of niche. But if you want to listen to it, go ahead. You never know much about it everyone's way. It's one of those interesting ones where I think, you know, um, there'll be interesting conversations around that improv mm. uh, sector. And I think, you know, It'd be an interesting one for people to maybe go and go and have a listen to for themselves. We'll put a link uh, along with this podcast as well, so people can Great. can find their way over there. Uh, so that brings us now to the quick fire questions. Uh, sure. Neil's happy about this bit; it means uh, we're getting close to the end. <laughs> so the first thing that we've got is, uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, oh gosh, that's that's a hard question because you know nobody sits you down like in the movie and go, "I'm going to give you advice that's going to change your life." <laughs> One man can make a difference. Um, I, there's probably been a lot of advice, but I guess the, the cliche of find what you do in life that you enjoy and do that, and the rest will follow. Mm-hmm. I think I've learned that that probably is the best advice that I could take because I was in a career for a long time that you know looked after me very well, and the people who worked it were great, but it wasn't a career that I enjoyed. It was a career I landed in. Sorry, finance people. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you're awarded and the relationship that came out. Yes, that's great. But unless you're doing something that you really like, you're not going to get the same life satisfaction. So it's not it's, it's it's a voice that I kind of realized later in life is very, very true. And I know it's cliche, but that's certainly something that, that stands out. Also say yes to things and worry about it afterwards. We don't do enough of that in life. That's probably the other thing. I'd completely agree with you on that one, on that second piece. Uh, so what advice would you give to a recent graduate that's entering the job market? Obviously, it's a very daunting time for people who've just finished their degrees uh, or their, their master's courses, and they, they've got to take that first step on the career ladder. Well, I'll probably give an alternative view at this. This is kind of things that I've learned over time. So when you come out of you know college, university, uh, and you're used to this routine where you get up and you work a certain way and that aligns with the college or the college's timetable. Um, take it, take some time to find out how you're motivated. Take it some time to find out 
you know, your personality amongst your career. What I mean by that is I, I realize that actually I'm my, I'm my most productive in the evening time. Yet I worked in a nine to five environment and when I was in uh, college here, you know, nobody wanted, we, we didn't have evening classes. And that was a very interesting thing for me. So, you know, I obviously went down the self-employment route, but I have, you know, evening times are a time that I'm like, okay, I have these ideas and now I'm going to put them, put them to paper. Um, secondly, is that thing you're passionate about. You know, people follow passion. Um, now, there was a podcast I listened to recently where they said that was a load of nonsense. I'm trying to think now what they said instead. It'll come, hopefully come back to me before the end of the podcast. But, you know, f- find that thing you're passionate about and, and, and follow that. And I'm going to totally contradict myself when that comes back to me now. But anyway. <laughs> and then, uh, lastly, to, to bring this back around to obviously Griffith College, you've studied here yourself. Uh, and there might be prospective students that, that are listening to this or people that are, are considering uh, come in and do a professional uh, qualification here. Uh, how would you describe Griffith College in three words? Griffith College, Dublin. There's three words. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I don't know. Not in three words. Uh, great place to... Sorry, three words. I don't know. What I would say, though, is um, I remember when I was looking, because I, I needed to get, or I wanted to get the credibility behind what I did. Uh, hence why I, I took the, did the master's in training and education but I was terrified of academia because you know I was coming as a obviously a mature student um, I was terrified of academia and I sat down with the, the program director uh, before it all kicked off and I, I basically wanted her to talk me out of doing this because I you know I was afraid that I wouldn't be good enough and all those fears and phobias we have in our heads um, and you know what I was afraid of most like most things in life it wasn't as bad as I thought it was in fact it was fine but what I really enjoyed about certainly the program I did was how practical and useful it was. You know, it wasn't obviously just the academic side, but there was plenty of practical and useful um, uh, insight that that I, I picked up and use in the day in the day to day now. And um, certainly the background and experience of the lecturers as part of the program were useful. I know that's three words, but tough. Not three words. That's tough. That's the best I could do. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I found this chat very inspiring uh, and definitely going to try and take away the few nuggets of advice that you've, you've given uh, in my own personal and work life uh, to try and improve my presenting skills uh, and then try and make myself uh, a bit more personable uh, and, and get out there a bit more. I think those, those are the overarching themes that we've taken from, from today's talk. Uh, thank you all for, for listening, hopefully, to uh, the Spotlight on Alumni podcast and uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.